The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. Welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome, I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter. And to learn more about my work, you can go to a website called miningstocks.com. That's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com. Also to webeatthestreet.com. Webeatthestreet.com. You can learn about Roger Wiegand and myself on webeatthestreet.com. And you can learn more about my work and Chen Lin's work at miningstocks.com. You can also sign up for special trial offers. Um, uh, these are offers, lower-priced offers, to allow you to give a, get a chance to try our newsletters and see if you might like them, if they might fit your investment needs. And you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426 during the normal work hours to learn more about that and to sign up for those uh, for those newsletters. Also, again, you can go to either of those websites that I mentioned the two other websites that I am posting on uh, daily, um, one is jtaylormedia.com. I have a daily blog there, uh, jtaylor, that's j-a-y-taylormedia.com, and goldinvestor.com is another site that I am uh, prominently involved with. Uh, also, to keep track of companies on my radar screen, these are companies that may make their way into my newsletter. 
primarily these days, gold mining companies, you can go to jayswatchlist.com. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com. Well, thanks to each of you for listening. As I mentioned last week, our numbers are improving very dramatically. We're up 28% on average in September. Our average weekly listening audience has grown by 28%. Uh, and so we're very, very pleased. Clearly, we're, uh, we're doing some things that people enjoy and find of use. Um, last, I need to also uh, thank our corporate sponsors because they really make this program financially possible. It would not otherwise be so. Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, Pediment Gold, Palangio Explorations, and Sand Gold. Those are all companies that uh, are sponsors, and we will be interviewing from time to time the CEOs of those various companies on this show as well so that you can learn to know more about their companies and how they are building wealth for their shareholders. Well, we've had some Really good results so far this year. We're, our average portfolio uh, gain, um, our portfolio, our model portfolio is up 57% this year so far, but um, I'm really concerned. I'm very, very concerned that what we're seeing here is nothing more than a, than a, secular, uh, than a cyclical bull market within a secular bear market. I'm very fearful that what uh, people are being uh, drawn back into the market at the very time that we could be ready for the next leg down. I hope I'm wrong about that, folks, but this, this is what I see. I give a lot of credence to Dr. Robert McHugh's work, and uh, he certainly is suggesting that we now maybe have only a few more days before the next leg of the uh, bear market uh, gets underway again. And his concerns there is the next leg could be a very, very severe one, one that he calls a nation-changing event to correct the bull market that began in 1718. Well, we're going to talk more about that in the last segment of this show. We're going to talk a little bit to Roger Wiegand and get his take on it. Chen Lin also will have some things to say about the market, or if not, an individual stock or two that he thinks uh, really can provide you with some chances to earn some money in this market. Um, so uh, we started this show back on March 24th of this year, uh, and one of our earliest guests was Congressman Ron Paul. We had Ron on the show because we think his views of our country is where we need to go if we are going to remain a free society. Ron's view of the world is very much like the framers of our Constitution. In fact, I think that uh, if Thomas Jefferson were to come back, Ron Paul would be perhaps the only person, one of the few people at least, in Washington who he would say he agrees with. Ron understands, as our, as our framers did, and I might say as Ronald Reagan did too, I believe that a nation can be free and strong only so long as government plays a minimum role in our lives. If it becomes intrusive, as it is increasingly doing right now, then we're going to lose our freedoms. And with our freedoms loss, we will no longer be the creative people, the happy creative people that we can be if we are the people God has created us to be. Well, Ron's message resonated very, very strongly with the young people in this country. Uh, beyond his wildest dreams, I might say, I know, and I've talked to the congressman personally, on various occasions, and I know how excited and how invigorated he was by the, uh, by the response of the youth. And Ron has no illusions about becoming president. I don't think he would have wanted to become president if he had a chance to be, but he had a message to deliver. He delivered that message, and as I say, it resonated very, very firmly with, with the youth. What he is excited about, Ron is very excited about, about the youth and the potential for those ideas to live on long after he no longer is with us, uh, the ideas of limited government and individual responsibility. Well, because of that, and I know Ron's concerns, and, and frankly, 
my belief and my desire, too, as um, no longer a spring chicken, is to see younger people come along who can provide those dreams of freedom uh, going forward. And so we have today with us a young, very young candidate who's running for local government for city council in uh, Palm Springs, California. His name is Drew Sweat. Uh, Drew, welcome. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you for having me, Andre. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I uh, learned to know you because of a another young person down the block from where I live who was a Ron Paul fan, and only because uh, Ryan had a Ron Paul sign in the front of his house did I connect with him, and we become good friends, and through him I've learned to know you. But uh, uh, you're running for City Council of Palm Springs. Can you give us some idea about the economy in Palm Springs? I understand it isn't really what, you know, as someone from New York, I think of Palm Springs as sort of a, a rich people's playground, but could you give us some idea about Palm Springs? You're going to run for city council. What can be done in Palm Springs to bring back uh, the city, um, you know, the, the, the economy of the city? Boy, if there was ever a place where government needed to get out of the way, it is Palm Springs, because one thing we hear, a talking point often, in Washington, D.C., and in our state capital of California, Sacramento, is we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. Well, unfortunately, in Palm Springs, we have both a revenue and a spending problem because we are a one-industry town, and that one industry is tourism. And we are a town of only 47,000 people, and I'm proud to live in a small town. I grew up in small towns all my life. But in Palm Springs, we are regulated more like Boston. We have a sign code that was written by one of our incumbents that not even the infamous Sonny Bono could take down as mayor or lobby for in Congress to have removed up until the time of his death in 1998. And so that's an issue still unsolved here in Palm Springs that I want to hit head on. And uh, we have leaders in our city government right now that go and tell everybody, feel the vibe of, of Palm Springs. Well, I differ from them because they believe that that vibe is bottled up and kept in their desks in City Hall and ought to be rationed out by them. Well, I think the vibe in Palm Springs has nothing to do with the government. I think that the vibe is in our storefronts of our small businesses on Palm Canyon Drive and in our mom-and-pop shops and in the entrepreneurs and the developers and the free market thinkers out here in Palm Springs that have made our city great for generations. And it's time that we claim that back, and that's why I'm running for Palm Springs City Council. Sure. Drew, could you give us an idea or just a, an example of some kind of intrusive government regulation that might be hurting your, um, uh, your businesses there? Sure. Well, we have right now... Um, four out of our five city council members, our mayor included, who is running for Congress, Steve Cunier against Congresswoman Bono Mack, who have millions of dollars in special interests in Palm Springs. And they have to continuously recuse themselves from crucial votes that pertain to the future of Palm Springs' economy. I have no special interests, so I can be a full-time leader and full-time decision-maker in Palm Springs. That has hurt us. We have the sign code but more importantly, we have code enforcement, which is used as a political witch hunt tool for the you know heavy-handed Chicago mob-style political network that runs this town. We currently have one councilwoman, Jenny Vogt, 
who's been on for six years, that's been indicted for murder not once but twice, mm. was questioned in a third. There's a whole book about it, Feminism on Trial. And she goes around, and if she does not like you, she sends out code enforcement and your business closes down. Or if you're trying to open a business, it won't open up. The um, average business owner that I've talked to in Palm Springs, when they acquire a property, it takes them two and a half years to open their doors. That's not right. And it's because our code enforcement comes out and they will nickel and dime our business owners in Palm Springs. So instead of nickel and diming people to death here, I think that we need to focus on our TOT tax, our hotel tax revenue, um, to fund our city. And we also need to tighten our belt in City Hall. We hire way too many contractors, give them full benefits. And in some cases, like with our downtown administrator, the person who is essentially in charge of uh, making sure that downtown Palm Springs, the heart of our economy, thrives, she's paid over $120,000 a year to work for the city of Palm Springs, but she works for at least three of our competitors. And so, you know, there's so many different factors here, and it's just a a really incestuous um, uh, nature here um, with the politicians and the special interests and uh, special business interests of those who sit on city council and work in city government. And we have many people who have a government perspective but not a private sector perspective. True. let me ask you, uh, this lady you were talking about who's been indicted for murder hasn't been convicted, is that true? Um, That's true, and as one of the jurors said when interviewed, she said she was found not guilty but not, not innocent because if you read the book Feminism on Trial, which I believe suggests that she was involved in somewhere around a dozen murders um, in Louisiana and Nevada and other places. Um, her husband at the time uh, was a very, very poor witness. Well, Drew, this doesn't sound like America to me. Uh, are, you, are you fearful at all for making these allegations and talking like this about this lady? Well, I personally have um, had to bring on two bodyguards because of the threats that I've received from her supporters. Wow. Um, some people will remember out there after the passage of Prop 8 in California um, this last November, um, it was on O'Reilly and I believe CNN as well, um, that there was a rally that turned into a riot on the steps of the Palm Springs City Hall. Well, Councilwoman Fote, um, the council member that we're talking about here, got up on the steps of City Hall and listed the names of businesses and called for boycotts of these businesses whose owners or employees had given money to the Yes on 8 campaign, then later lied about it and lied about it again today at our final forum and would only apologize for, quote, forgetting that I said it. Well, Drew, and this is amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear this sort of thing is going on. Uh, can you let people know how they can learn more about your candidacy and how, if they wish to, they can contribute? Is there a website sure, where they can go to? If, if you go to Vote Drew, that's D-R-E-W, VoteDrew.com, you can read more about my issues, my press releases. I've got a couple of YouTube videos up there. I believe we've got five up so far. And there's a link to donate on there. There's a link to my online store. And, you know, I want to talk about my online store here for just a couple of seconds. Okay. I caused quite a stir because I started a online store for merchandise for campaign collateral on CafePress.com, an online marketplace. And I, one of the items that I have on there with my vote drew logo is a pair of boxer shorts which in palm springs is actually a really really big seller 
and uh, has been on my Facebook fan page and everything. And so a local reporter called me, and I said to she asked me, she said, Drew, you're selling boxer shorts for crying out loud, and you, you're getting people asking you to autograph them. Aren't you concerned about that? Mm-hmm. And I said to her, Erica, what other candidate is getting autograph requests and is you know, has the out-of-the-box thinking to do this. No one else. And one day, I decided to jack the price up to $100 each and raise $1,000 in eight minutes. Well, that's and good. we need that kind of innovative, outside-of-the-box, private-sector well, thinking in City Hall. Absolutely. Drew, we're, we're, unfortunately, forever. we're running out of time. So that the website again is sure. what? VoteDrew.com. Okay, that's simple enough, folks. I hope you'll go and pay uh, some attention to, to Drew here. I think he's got some... Very interesting ideas, and he's and he's certainly uh, a brave person for running uh, in in this place called Palm Springs, which I would have thought was more of a paradise uh, well, than it is. It, but in, in any event, one of the folks, best markets in the country. Jump on a flight and get out here. Well, thank you, Drew. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have to move on now to our to our commercial break. We've got Rob Kirby coming up next. You know, Ron Paul wrote a book called. The Revolution, a manifesto. And after I hear what Drew has to say about what's going on in Palm Springs, you know, is a revolution called for? I mean, goodness sakes, I, you know, you have to think so. If, if, if life is like that widespread in America, I, I would like to think it's not for sure. But in any event, we're going to talk to Rob Kirby and we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll listen to what Rob has to say. I think he's probably going to have some ideas and some comments on that himself. So we'll be right back with Rob Kirby. Don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of 
Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Our special guest this week is Rob Kirby. Um, Rob received his post-secondary education at York University and Economics in Toronto, Upon graduation, he worked uh, on an institutional trading desk for most of the 1980s and up until 1996 on Toronto's Bay Street Financial Centre. He also worked for 11 years at Prebon uh, Yamani, an international inter-dealer broker of foreign exchange and interest rate products. Rob spent an additional year at another money bond broker uh, called Freedom Bond Brokers, subsequently purchased by Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, the world's largest U.S. bond broker. He then spent two years at another inter-dealer uh, bond brokerage, Garbon Inc., the world's second largest broker of U.S. government securities. Rob left the institutional investment in, uh, industry in 1996 for approximately four years. He was a retail investment advisor with Scotia McLeod and Investors Group. Uh, he currently serves as an authorized dealer for BMG Bullion Bars, a secure and reliable means of purchasing investment-grade precious metals bullion. Welcome, Rob, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and I'm hoping that you can help us live up to our name here and the show's name. Well, I really hope I can too, Jay, and I must say it's really wonderful to be with you. And I told you there was something I wanted to just get out of the way, a little housekeeping chore uh, right up front. And Jay hasn't put me up to this. It's just something that I really wanted to say. Uh, my line of work is as a forensic macroeconomist. And as such, I do not cover individual companies, and specifically the junior mining sector. And I just want all your listeners to hear it from a third-party voice, Jay, uh, the, the value of the work that you and your team bring to the table. Uh, just so everybody understands, the universe of junior mining companies is probably 1,500 at least and maybe more. Mm-hmm. And to drill down and to find, uh, there's a lot of chafe to weed through to find good stuff. Jay does that, and that's, that's what you get when you 
you know, when you subscribe to Jay's service, because what he does is he sorts out all that chafe, and he cover, covers uh, then intimately probably about 100 of the juniors, and you're getting sort of the cream of the crop. That's why it's important that everybody, if you're going to play the junior mining sector uh, as an investor, it's sure, unless you're doing all the work yourself and you can do, devote a ton of time to it yourself, you really get a lot of value out of what Jay does. Anyway, well, that's, I wanted that's, to say that. That's very kind of you. Uh, of course, this show isn't, isn't about me. It's about people like you who make this show a growing success, and, uh, and I thank you again for coming on. It's very kind of you to say those things. I also, though, want to also just uh, mention my two partners, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin, and when it comes to picking it, uh, specific stocks, I give a lot of credit to Chen Lin, who's just brilliant, and we'll talk more about Chen's work in the in the end of this show again. But Rob, let's get into some of the questions I have for you in mind today. You're a regular contributor and supporter to the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, and uh, if by chance there are people out there who don't know who GATA is, uh, it's, I'd urge you to go to their website. It's uh, gata.org, www.gata.org. Uh, but to make a long story short, GATA is a not-for-profit organization that is alleging uh, that the gold markets are manipulated uh, to, and that the gold price is manipulated to levels far below where its market price would be if it were not, uh, if there was not government intervention and manipulation in the markets. So, Rob, by your resume, you know, you've worked for some pretty good concerns, very mainstream concerns, especially that Cantor Fitzgerald outfit is really is about as mainstream as you can get, and uh, uh, Scotia McLeod is, is no slouch either. How is it that a guy like you, with your history of holding responsible positions at blue-chip firms, can sign on to a conspiracy theory of, of a company, you know, of, of GATA? How can, you, how can you really do that? Well, to begin with, Jay, uh, I don't consider the views that I hold, uh, which the mainstream uh, attack dogs like to uh, characterize as conspiracy theory, uh, I instead refer to them as conspiracy facts. Mm-hmm. I'm not really swayed by uh, hubris. I'm not swayed by, uh, when it comes to markets, I'm really not even swayed by emotion. I'm swayed by, uh, these days I'm swayed by my own research. And my own research is, uh, is, is extremely compelling in that, uh, you know, a conspiracy against gold is a fact. And uh, I've convinced myself of it. And... In saying that, I would, uh, I would only remind people that I've been very aware of what a gold bug is since the 1980s. In my institutional background, we used to refer to gold bugs as, uh, as wingnuts, uh, and people who were out in left field and people who didn't have a clue as to what was really going on in the world. So, in- You mean people like Ron Paul, for example? Yeah, uh, be a wing nut. You know, in in a in, in a you know the, the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> and I mean, I was I was one of those people who used to look at people who thought there was a conspiracy against gold, and my eyes used to roll into the back of my head when mm-hmm. when I heard someone speak such things. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, Jay, is because. For me, it was literally a case of uh, I would ask the question like, "Well, who do you think is involved in in such a such a pursuit?" And they'd say, "Well, it's a group of bullion banks." And then they'd say, "Well, who are the bullion banks?" And then they'd say, "Well, you know, they're institutions like they're institutions like uh, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan." And then I would typically, because I'm 
live in Toronto, and and I'd have these kind of conversations with people in in the center that I live in, and I'd say, so are there any bullion banks in Canada? And then I'd be told, yes, there's one in Canada. It's called Bank of Nova Scotia. And then I'd say to them, well, isn't that interesting? Because for four or five years, I used to go out and drink quite regularly with the guy who traded the gold at Bank of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you one thing. He was sure involved in no conspiracy whatsoever. Sure. Because after spending four or five years uh, uh, with with, the, with a chap on a regular basis, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd think you'd see some sort of entrails or some sort of evidence that such a thing was going on. Right, so you'd be talking to the to the chief gold dealer at at uh, Bank of Nova Scotia, you said. Yes, and uh, you knew well, him quite well. Former, as you say, you spent a lot of time chief. drinking with this guy, and you never saw any evidence, and there was never any. He never talked about any kind no. of conspiracy. No. Is it possible that he was just not that close to it, or or what? Uh, my my feeling is, quite frankly, that uh, he may have just been somebody following following orders, mm-hmm. um, it might have been that I was too close to it, Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, exactly exactly what the rationale or exactly what the reasoning is, um, you know, I'll tell you what. What goes on in the gold market, I can tell you, I can tell you something for sure. Uh, my primary line of work for a good number of the years that I was in institutional sales or institutional brokerage uh, was was uh, was in the derivatives arena, and specifically in the marketing of an interest rate product called an interest rate swap. Mm-hmm. And as a broker of interest rate swaps, uh, I certainly became aware that swaps and the bond and specifically the bond trades that are embedded in medium-term interest rate swaps. And when I say medium term, that's a, that would be a, a swap, an interest rate swap of duration between three and ten years, implicitly has a bond trade embedded in it. And after doing these trades and brokering these trades for about two or three years, I, I became very, very highly and acutely aware how these swaps could influence the bond market, mm-hmm. which means influence our medium term interest rates. Mm-hmm. Well. You see, the interesting thing about that, Jay, is that conventional wisdom tells you, and if you listen to the people at the Federal Reserve, the, uh, the people at the Fed will always be quick to tell you that they control the short-term interest rate by controlling the Fed funds rate. Right, and they'll tell you that the long-term rate cannot be controlled, right? That's right, and they'll tell you that it's controlled in the bond market. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, and as such, they don't, have, they don't have control of long-term rates because they're set in the bond market. But what I'm saying is that the bond market and what goes on in the bond market is trumped by what goes on in the interest rate swap market. And the outstanding notionals of medium-term interest rate swaps are roughly 200 plus trillion, And as such, they overwhelm the bond complex, understand that the total outstanding U.S. government debt is only around $11 trillion, I believe, currently. Oh, wow. So, so, the, so the tail is wagging the dog, in essence. Uh, absolutely. So, the, so that you're saying the derivatives markets control the, the actual bond markets in this Absolutely. Case, the interest rate swaps. Absolutely. And we have evidence that this occurs because 
what I'm saying indirectly to somebody who maybe wouldn't be completely familiar with these products. Right. Most of us are not. I went through this exercise back about a month or a month and a half ago with a fixed income trader who was, who was debating me as to the validity of my, of my position. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Rob, if you're right, then that means that the, the demand for bonds is way bigger than the supply of bonds, and that means that there'd be fails to deliver in the bond market all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, well, isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what happens on a very regular basis. Mm-hmm. And there are academic papers actually written about the, uh, the subject matter of how many bond trades fail to clear. And I can tell you that one study that I have, which I'm, I'm, I'm just staring at it right now, to give you an idea how, how widespread the fails to deliver are in the U.S. government bond market, in April 2008, fails to deliver in the bond market reached a peak of $600 billion, a sale rate of 9% of all trades. So, you see, what I'm saying is the interest rate swap market gobbles up so many bonds, there aren't enough bonds. So there's always a, a need for more debt to be created for government. So government has an endless, there's an endless demand for bonds is what you're saying. What I'm saying is that the interest rate swap market, uh, the interest rate swap market uh, creates such demand for bonds that it creates a ready, willing home on the best possible terms for the issuer because it's so big. Well, where do, why do we have so many interest rate swaps? If, Wait, why is there 200, 200 trillion, you said, as well, compared to 11 trillion? That all seems like synthetic stuff it's not well let's let's just delve into that a little bit mm-hmm. you can go to the office of the controller of the currency uh, website you can google office of the controller of the currency for the united states of america you can go to publications on their website and you can look at a at a, at a publication that's put out quarterly called the quarterly derivatives fact sheet mm-hmm. and it's published in pdf form uh, what is it, three months in arrears. Uh, so, like in September, in September of, uh, at the end of September this year, they released the uh, Q2 of 09 quarterly derivatives fact sheet. So that gives you an idea for timing. So there's a bit of a time lag. And in, in these, in these uh, uh, derivative fact sheets that are produced quarterly, they show you graphically the rise in dealer notionals, as in the amount of outstanding trade being done, and they show you the end user demand or the end, you know, the the, the actual offtake or the or the the amount of this trade that's being customer driven. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that the customer driven component of that line is a flat line, and it has been for the last 15 years. Okay, so what's the reper- what's what's the uh, what's the repercussions of this? If it, so, what if I understand what you're saying, Rob, is that there's this sort of endless demand for bonds. The government can keep deficit spending. We can go, you know, engage in wars. We can uh, bail large corporations out. We can uh, the government can do all this stuff because there's they can just keep issuing debt because there's going to be an endless demand for it. Exactly, and that interest rates can remain low forever. It means what it means, Jay, is that is that interest rates. It means that the setting of interest rates is arbitrary. 
And, the, it, and it's it set by whom? Who's, who's, who's responsible? Is this the Fed that's behind this? Absolutely. Because it's the Fed's proxy banks where the concentrations of these instruments lie. Which would be which banks? Which would be uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Bank of America, uh, uh, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. These are, these institutions. J.P. These Morgan, are why the, these are why these institutions are too big to fail. I suppose. Of course, it's why they're too big to fail, yeah. Jay. This right. is why J.P. Morgan has has a has a derivatives book, which has clocked in as big as ninety two trillion. This is why the combination of Bank of America and Merrill Lynch has a, uh, you know, the, the, the new merged entity has, has an $84 trillion derivatives book. This is why Goldman Sachs, a former investment bank with almost, I mean, relative, relative to, the, to the big banks, uh, their, their capital levels are, are, are uh, a pittance compared to an institution like, uh, like, like a Morgan. But even uh, Goldman Sachs has a $48 trillion derivatives book. Okay, let's take this back to the gold markets now. Sure. What evidence is there that the gold markets, is there some relationship between these derivatives and what you're talking about here and what's going on in the gold markets? Sure. Well, the pricing of gold is also arbitrary. And how is that, how is that accomplished? How is that accomplished? How is the arbitrariness of the gold price accomplished, if you could explain that to our listeners? Sure. Well, we know, uh, I, I can, in this regard, I can say that my understanding of gold price rigging has come a long way in the last number of months because I formerly used to believe that the price of gold was only capped. Mm -hmm. So I, I formerly was of the belief that as the price of gold naturally wanted to rise, mm -hmm. the, that, that uh, certain players, which were proxies of the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve and of the U.S. Treasury, would enter the futures market and they would sell futures short, and or they would access sovereign bullion from sovereign entities like the United States gold, gold Reserve or the European countries, their sovereign gold reserves, and they would slowly bleed off through, typically through leasing, uh, or they'd go to the mines themselves and get them to conduct what, what, what are called forward sales of their gold that's still in the ground. Mm-hmm which yes. is another convoluted way of actually taking money out of sovereign vaults, and which maybe is a little bit beyond what we have time to discuss right here. Yes, unfortunately, but, we only have about six minutes left, and sure. I know I've got a ton of questions to ask but, yet. So. Uh, but, but in any case, the, uh, the gold price, the gold price is, is, is arbitrarily set in the same way that the interest rates are arbitrarily set, using uh, derivatives, and we know that it's arbitrary as opposed to just capped, because the price of gold and silver, uh, and, and, and we've got to understand or, or appreciate that gold is widely regarded as a monetary metal, where silver is viewed as, as, as an industrial metal, or primarily so at least, an industrial yes, metal. Uh -huh. And the two of them trade in lockstep, not only on the downside, but also on the upside. Mm -hmm. And the reason why prices of both metals has been going higher over the last Six or seven years in a in very spite of, in spite of the manipulations. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, the prices have to go higher because because of the arbitrarily uh, low set prices on these metals, mm -hmm. it's caused a run on the physical stocks. And years and years ago, the United States, in particular, used to have vast vast uh, reserves of silver 
and gold, and the anecdotal evidence is that these reserves have now disappeared, and the lack of physical metal has meant that although the prices of both of the metals remain arbitrarily set, they have to retreat to higher and higher levels uh, because of the lack of physical metal. Because they don't have the physical metal. Now, we, don't, we haven't had the U.S. gold reserve audited since the Eisenhower administration. Are you suggesting that all of the gold of the United States uh, at Fort Knox, at the West Point, at uh, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York are gone? Uh, it's, you know what? It's a good question, Jay. Uh, what I would suggest to people is the following. Uh, the odds that the United States possesses uh, good delivery uh, uh, gold is probably almost zero. And what people need to understand here is back in 1933, when the U.S. government confiscated gold from the people, the gold that was confiscated was largely coin. And what they did with the coin is they created coin melt bars. And coin melt bars, by their, very, by their very description, are 22 carat, because gold coin in the United States, when it was issued, was all 22 carat gold. But good delivery gold, the gold that's traded in London and the gold that's traded in Comex, is 24 carat gold. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference. You can't deliver 22 carat gold against the gold futures contract if the person who's long the future says, I want to take delivery of the metal. Okay. Because it doesn't meet the good delivery standard. Okay, Rob, we've got only about three minutes left. It's, sure. it's amazing how fast this is going. But I need to ask you this. If the gold markets are manipulated, should people then be buying gold? People should be buying physical gold, in my view, and they should be hoarding it themselves. And when I say hoarding it, I don't think they should be keeping it in a, in a safety deposit box of a bank. Why not? Because I think, there's, I think there's a possibility, or I would be concerned or would have the fear that it might be confiscated again. Sure. If once, the United done States, once in the United States, it could happen again, right? Exactly. There is precedent. Okay. Uh, any other ways you'd own gold? You, physical is the way to own it. You're, you, you mentioned gold mining. Are you, are you an investor in gold mining personally? Uh, I, I am personally not an investor in gold mining stocks, but I know people that are. And I know people that have, and I know people that have made a lot of money mm-hmm. doing so. Well, there's no doubt we make it quite obvious, I think, on this show that the safest way to own gold is to own it in physical form and not through a company. If you buy a company, uh, you buy shares in a company, you're taking on all kinds of corporate business risks that you don't take on when you own the gold in, in your own hands. So there's no doubt about that. Uh, Rob, I just, just one thought I want to I ask you about before we uh, give you a chance to talk about your website a little bit. You, you talked about the interest rates being manipulated and being really uh, sort of contained. The levels are arbitrarily set, and they're set at very, very low levels. I think most people would agree at levels that are very low. Of course, if you make the argument that the inter- that our inflation rate is what the government says it is, then maybe maybe you can go along with the rates as they are. But, it, but I don't believe that. Do you? No, not at inflation. all. So your a- your belief is the inflation rate is higher than what they're saying it is by by several percentage points, perhaps. Jay, I follow John Williams uh, of ShadowStats.com's okay. work, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind yeah. that interest rates are much higher than what okay, we Okay, we've had John on, and uh, the real interest rates, um, you know, are, are, you know if, you, if you believe John's work, the real interest rates are very, very low, in which case, wouldn't that not be bullish for gold then, too, if they're Absolutely. holding rates at such low levels? Absolutely. Okay, now let me ask you, do you, please tell our listeners where they can learn more about your work. You do provide 
a, uh, a newsletter, do you not? I do indeed. Uh, you can find, uh, you can find uh, all the subscription information at my little home on the web, which is kirbyanalytics.com. Rob, thank you so much for your time. I wish we had more. You know, we're going to go to a two-hour show in January. Maybe we'll have more time, then we can have you back at that time. There's so much more we should have talked to you about, didn't have the time. Thanks so much for your insights and your help uh, to our listeners. Folks, we'll be right back in just a few minutes with the wrap-up this week with Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand. Don't go away. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Yes, I would like to encourage you to send along your comments uh, and, and call in from time to time. Let us know what your thoughts are about our show and anything you disagree with or agree with. We'd love to hear from you. That is true. We actually have some uh, some very interesting uh, points that I'd hope to bring up today. We just didn't have time. One of these days, I'm going to have to just take a good part of a show and just devote them to some of the ideas and questions that you all have been sending in. So I'd like to encourage you to keep doing that, even though I haven't responded as well as I would like to. Well, as I mentioned in the first segment this, this week, uh, and as I've been saying for some weeks now, I have been fearing that we could be heading for a major decline in the equity markets. My feeling is that we've had a natural bounce back from the March lows and that what we're seeing here uh, is is probably a sucker's rally and a big one and, you know, a pretty good-sized uh, up uh, rise in equity prices that people are making people feel very, very good again, and they're forgetting the pain to a great extent of uh, the pain that we experienced last fall. So for that reason, I've been encouraging investors to my subscribers and and, uh, myself, too. I've been taking a lot of the profits off the table that we've enjoyed this year and building up cash. My own IRA, I have now about a 35% cash position, and I want to have that cash available so that I can buy a hedge or two uh, if, if and when I believe the equity market is going to turn down again. And uh, and then also to have some cash available to buy gold shares at the bottom because I do believe that this is an environment that is extremely bullish for gold mining shares. Well, I want to get Roger's thoughts on that, and then I'm going to talk to Chen about a couple of other ideas. But, Roger, are you there? Roger's here. What are your thoughts? Where are we heading for this equity in the equity markets now? Do you think we're close to some sort of a downturn? And uh, then also, what are your thoughts about gold right now? We are close to a downturn, Jay. It, uh, we thought it would occur a little bit earlier last month. But uh, things have peaked out. Uh, it, it almost exactly peaked out on a Fibonacci top number of 61.8%. That's a retracement level from a low to a high. Uh, we expected that things would be starting to top out and sell around the 15th to the 21st of September. It's lingered around the top a little longer and gone sideways. But we do see, see a stock correction. We think that uh, you're going to see it this week, next week. Uh, the base or bottom that we see for the stock market and for precious metals would be delayed, would be sometime between the 9th of November and the 13th during that week. So at this particular point, we're, wait, we're telling our readers and traders to uh, hold their capital and wait until things get settled down and then get ready to go. Uh, we've got an agricultural uh, thing open now. We're shorting credit in the banks. That trade is moving up. But uh, we're looking for this cycle to get settled first before we actually jump in and go. We think that between that first week of November all the way through to May, we'll see probably two big rallies with one sell-off on profits in February. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a big move ahead, but we have to get past this interim thing first. 
you say there's a big a big move upward or downward? Upward, big move upward in gold. In gold, okay. We're talking gold now. All right. Yep. All right. All right. Um, so, what are your what are your targets? Do you have a target for year end for the price of gold, and then maybe well, year end of... for the price of gold. Uh, if we can get past um, ten eighty, okay, a thousand eighty dollars on gold, uh, I think that very quickly we could go up to eleven and a half, twelve and a half. Many months ago, we had a high target on gold, twelve fifty, twelve sixty. Uh, it's going to depend upon getting past that that 1080 figure after this mild correction is over with. So 1080 is a real resistance level. This yes, thing. it is. Okay. Chen, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Jay. Hey, Chen, um, here's the thing, folks. It doesn't matter what kind of markets we're in. Some people find ways to make money, and uh, Chen Lin has done very, very well at making money. Not every year. I must, must admit that last year he may have taken a very small haircut, whereas some of us took big haircuts. Last year he managed to, well, at least one account that I look at uh, that I'm aware of, Chen, lost a couple of percentage points, and that that compares pretty well with the 52% we lost in our model portfolio last year. We're up really big so far this year, and we've regained a good part of it. But Chen's done very well in all kinds of markets because he really is a person uh, who thinks outside the box. So, uh, Chen, you had a, a couple of really big winners this year, and thinking outside the box is certainly – how I would describe uh, how you managed to pick a, a big winner this year. Now, that same that same stock you're recommending people buy again, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, hi. Uh, this is an agricultural bank. Okay, It's a bank that actually service agriculture. Um, what is the symbol, Chen? It's AGM, it's Apple George Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I recommended it at below $3, and uh, after first earning, it tripled, almost tripled. I sold sold most of them, and then second earning, uh, before the second earning came out, I recommend again. Uh, this time, not only buy stock, also bought options. Uh, the stock doubled, and options, I think, up uh, eight or nine fold, almost wow. nine fold. And, what, and you held those options just for a few days or a few weeks? What? Yeah, just, just less than a week. Less than a week. week long. Just into the earning, when the earning announced, I sold it. Okay, and then after the second, after the the second quarter earning, it actually trade flat. With all the financial stock move higher, mm. the stock actually really flat. It's still about where it were before the second quarter earning. Now the third quarter earning about to come. Uh, the, the the thing is that we, if you notice the corn, the wheat, all the agricultural products, the price actually went through the roof lately. <laughs> that means the farmers will pay back their loan with. Uh, Ease, relatively ease because fertilizer price is low, but the agricultural commodity price is high. Yeah, and the the the, the loan default rate is so low; it's like historical low in the agricultural sector. Uh, the they last last quarter they mentioned they they have some kind of default loan on ethanol uh, plant, some a few million out of a uh, ten billion loan portfolio. You know, it's it's very very different than you know housing, which you know almost. Uh, well, that's really amazing, Chen. We only have about a minute. We're going to have to wrap up here. So really, in a way, as I see this, this is sort of a play on agriculture, really, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've had the, the lower petroleum prices, and, and that, I guess, is part of the reason the fertilizer prices are lower. So some of the cost inputs are lower, but the farm food is, is perhaps... You have to be very bullish on food long-term, don't you? I yeah. mean, given the, the population growth exactly. and all that. And, and then this bank is making 50 cents consistently every quarter, and now it's trading at $8, four times. You know. So it's, uh, it's uh, trading. Historically, it was trading $40. Four times its earnings. 
yeah, forty to thirty dollars. It was just you know sold. So down. you see, you see a potential rise here in earnings and then a share price rise. I think their earnings probably consistent. Maybe a little bit rise, and most likely people will recognize it. Maybe okay. Well, we're, the music tells me that we're out of time now. Uh, just want to remind you folks that if you'd like to learn more about Chen's work and Roger's work and my work, you can call my assistant Claudio Bossi at seven one eight four five seven one four two six. 718-457-1426. Next week, you don't want to miss next week's show. I'm going to have John Perkins. He's the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. This is a very exciting, very, very disturbing story, actually, about how the American empire is run and, and uh, propelled forward in its own way by our corporate entities. Uh, you won't want to miss what John Perkins has to say. Um, and so uh, I hope that you'll tune in next week. Before we say goodbye to you again, I want to thank... Uh, the, the staff at Voice America, who makes this uh, this program uh, possible, Casey Trump, my senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, and Travis Ortwin, he's my engineer. All these people make it possible logistically for us to bring you this show. Of course, our sponsors make it financially possible. Thanks to them as well again. And thanks to each of you for listening. More and more of you are listening. Tell your friends, invite them along. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.